This is Security Now, Episode 16, Your Questions, Steve's Answers. Steve Gibson is on the line via Google, Google Talk from his, hey, his, uh, his lair in uh, Irvine. Hi, Steve. My Fortress of Solitude. Every, uh, every, we, we decided every Mod 4 podcast, we're going to start taking uh, questions and, uh, and responding to them. Is that the yep. idea? Yeah. Yep. And this is Mod 4, episode 16. Yep. So, so e- episode numbers that are evenly divisible by four will be Q&A. And it's, it's really nice because lots of people are posting questions to the forum on, at securitynow.htm on, on my website at grc.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty much keeping up. I mean, I am at the moment up to date. And, and I'll sort of see like a question that's asked many times in different ways. And it's like, okay, this is something that you know, we need to deal with. And also there are issues that come up that really aren't big enough to be a whole half-hour Security Now episode, but are like a, it's a real good point. And so it really helps me. Also, a lot of people are, you know, they have different experiences. For example, we've talked about go to my PC. A huge number of people have said, hey, what about logmein.com? Right, right. And so, you know, there's another system that is free for their minimum service that allows people to access their computers remotely. So it allows us to, you know, to, to bring those things to light too, basically closing the loop of feedback with our listeners. So let's close the loop. And uh, we start with uh, our first question. And this, again, it's a composite of, uh, of a number of questions along these lines. Exactly. Referring way back to your uh, passwords episode, which, gosh, that was one of our very earliest episodes, so we, wasn't it? We, we, we did, I think, the first couple episodes on passwords yeah. af- after the Zotob worm. That was the very yeah. first Yeah, and that, that was a great topic. Uh, the need for using strong passwords that can't be guessed makes sense. But writing them down and keeping them in my wallet scares me. What if my wallet fell into the wrong hands? What should I do? Ah, and, and many people have, have mentioned that. It's like, hey, you know, they like the idea. I mean, they, they get it that using a password that's, that's complex and is like upper and lower case and just gobbledygook makes total sense to them. But, and, and then that means you have to write it down. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to remember it and get it right again. But what if someone discovered that? Right. And my idea is that, okay, write down... A, a variation of it. For example, maybe write it down um, with the first five letters from the end on the front. That is, make a simple change to it when it's written down that only you know. So you have a secret way of turning what you wrote down back into what your real password is. So somebody finding the wallet's not going to have anything. Exactly. And even if they tried to use it, you know, it's not going to work. And they'll go, okay, well, I guess this isn't the right thing. Or or I do that. I just shift the capitalization in a certain way that I that is according to a rule. And that that won't work. That would be good as as long as where you were logging into was case sensitive. Yeah, exactly. Was case sensitive. Most most places are. Or maybe just tack on your own secret five characters to the end of everything that that's written down. Anyway, the point is, and and people can figure out their own algorithm because we don't want to give it away because otherwise we've we've lowered the security. But do something to what you write down in a uniform way that you know only you know, and so you've still got an aspect of it that is secret. And this isn't. Uh, I do. By the way, the, as, as soon as we finished that podcast, I started changing all my passwords using this password portable password policy that you came up with, and um, 
I do it only on the low to medium security sites. I have to have stronger passwords on my bank and so forth. But I'll tell you what I, you know, it's not exactly this, but it's like this. I will take the name of the site. So if it's Google, uh, without the .com, just Google. And then I will intersperse the letters with the last four digits of my social security number. Nice. And that works. Yeah. Now, as, as somebody pointed out in another email, it can, if you got a couple of webmasters got together and looked at my passwords, they'd be able to figure out how I was doing it. But first of all, that's unlikely, and that's why I only use it in lower security issues. Yeah, and um, another point has been brought up, actually another question that I've had several times that this now occurs to me is many people wrote in saying, okay, but what about a situation where I have to, I'm where there's a password policy that enforces me, that forces me to change the password yeah, every so often. I hate that. That breaks the algorithm approach completely. Right. Um, the only thing I could suggest is maybe put a serial number on the end. You know, zero 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 one zero zero two. Again, it's technically you would know what someone so like what what the password was before if you knew what it was now, but it would allow you to quickly try a few things to get the one that's correct. And again, it's, it's a way of, of mutating an existing password, making a slight change to it. Still, the bulk of it is completely random and high security. Uh, also, uh, you created a password page at uh, grc.com slash passwords that generates uh, per, you know, truly random strings for wireless uh, encryption. Well, it's just great raw material. It's raw material right. for any time someone needs a password you know, chunk. So uh, people wrote and said, okay, fine, but what's, how should we manage that password? Uh, you know, if, for instance, you have guests who are wanting to log on to your wireless network, do you give them the guests, how, uh, the password? How do you do it? It's so long and difficult to handle. Uh, that's a very good point. I, I, I sort of glibly said in, in a podcast, oh, just cut and paste uh, without thinking it through because, you know, somebody who comes to your home isn't yet on your network. So cut and paste what? Right. Um, of the, uh, there, I have a couple thoughts. One would be if they don't, if you have, if you have a floppy drive, of course, if people still have disk, diskette drives, you you could just use that to move the password over to their machine. Um, failing that, USB drives are more and more universally available now that would allow you to get it to their machine. Or if they're, if they if they could get on the net anyway. And then, for example, you email it to them or, or like leave it on Google Mail, for example, and then you briefly log on down on their machine, yeah. on their machine, yeah. you know, just in order to get I think it over the, to I their like machine. the USB key. I think that's a great idea. People more and more are using USB keys to store stuff like that. And that's a very good use for it, I think. You know, and, you know, frankly, there's been a lot of issue about, the, in fact, as we see, as we look at these questions, this this problem of of merging security and lack of security continues to create problems so another possibility is if this person doesn't need security while they're at your house just shut down your encryption just you know in, with oh, a radio yeah. button on your browser <laughs> turn off turn off your your encryption Let while they're it. visiting yeah, yeah. you know don't you do anything that, you just know, temporary don't, don't do any online yeah. banking with all your neighbors but you know like while yeah, they're there you fair. know you accommodate them and then when they leave you 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 switch back up to strong encryption here's a question that addresses something that we're in the middle of right now is it possible to use a public computer in a hotel, a library, an airport with total safety. What are the security and privacy concerns? 
Well, now that's a really good question because that's a little different than sort of the VPN topic that, that we're going to continue talking about for the next couple episodes. Um, this is like you go to a library and want to do something. The problem is if you were, even if you logged into Google Mail and, for example, you could use a secure connection to Google Mail to prevent your dialogue from being listened to. But you're using somebody else's hardware and, you know, essentially booted with somebody else's software. So you don't know there's not a keystroke logger monitoring everything you type at the keyboard oh, prior. So even prior. if you had a VPN, they could keep track of that. Exactly. Ooh. I mean, if you use go to my PC, if you do log me in or, or, or like that SSL Explorer that we talked about. Doesn't that would matter. Allow, Doesn't yeah. matter. You're still getting your keystrokes logged. So it is. A, and in fact, anecdotally, we hear that those computers in public locations tend, you know, like script key guys like to install even like, like a, a hardware keystroke right. logger just in, in line indetectable in the you cannot yeah. detect that and so they you know so, some some kid sticks it in the keyboard mm. sits back and pretends to be reading a magazine while other people come up and use the computer then they unplug it take it home and dump out everything that was typed oh so, so what can you do about that don't use public machines <laughs> oh no, i'm not kidding there is no again it's there can't be no, secured there's no safe way. Even if it's not yeah. a hardware keystroke logger, it could be something in software that, that somebody else has deliberately installed to hack the machine. So, and, and it's an important lesson, I think, overall in terms of a security policy is having, having known control of the platform that you're using. Har hardware it's, it's, control, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. your laptop. You're carrying it around. You, you don't loan it to somebody who you don't trust because, you know, in general, you would tend not to because presumably you've got other stuff on the laptop that is yours. So, mm -hmm. so maintaining physical control of the computer is definitely part and parcel of being able to be secure using that machine. So you really need to remember that you can't use somebody else's computer that you have no security oversight on in a secure fashion. Sure, it's safe to go Google and browse around and not do anything important, but be very careful, not even logging into Google Mail on a public hotspot machine because anything could be happening there. Wow. <laughs> That's a good, a good warning. Several times another questioner asks, you've mentioned that hubs are less secure than switches. What's the difference between a switch and a hub? And why do hubs allow you to see the entire network? Are there uh, are switches one-way devices like NAT routers? Uh, okay, that's, uh, that's, again, a question that's come up a number of times. The idea between a switch and a hub is that, um, first of all, only with current 10-base um, T technology. Uh, you remember that there was... Um, uh, I've lost my vocabulary. Was it two-base T? Oh, the old coax, you mean? Yeah. yeah. With coax, you actually had a an, an electrically shared connection. Yeah. Um, I remember the, that because if you unplugged the your computer from the network, the whole network would die because it was serial. It was a it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was terrible. But you were and actually T connections everywhere. You actually had multiple computers on the same physical wire. Well, the way ten-base T works is different. You you have a single computer connected to a hub or a router so that 
each computer is electrically on its own set of wires, which is really important. Inside the hub, it, now, inside a hub or a switch, is, is essentially a, a, a little mini NIC, a, a little network interface, just like you have on your computer, for every one of its connections. With a hub, anything that any one of those wires receives is sort of mindlessly sent back out of every other one of the connections. That's what it means not to have any routing. It's not routed. It's everybody gets a look at every packet, and then the one that is for you, you do take. Well, routing. Kind of, right? We gotta. We have to be. Yeah, we have to be careful of words because routing is something else. Um, it, it, the, the the right term would be switching, okay. where the idea would be there's no switching, so that what one port receives all other ports here and so so that's a hub where you actually everybody's sort of on it's they're not quite on the on the same wire electrically but they're all seeing any information that anyone sends so the reason this is a problem in a hotel is that you could have a huge hub or a set of hubs where Something that one computer on the 12th floor sends to the internet, literally every other machine in the, in, in, in the, in the physical hotel is able to sniff that and essentially receives that traffic. You know, now, me, the, you know me in physical analogies. I've got one for you. Oh, good. That will explain this. So it's as if you're in an office, a crowded office, and somebody wants to pass a phone message to you. They can come in the door and shout the message. You'll get the message, but so will everybody else in the office. That's, That's perfect. a hub. Yes. If you had a switch, you would be divided up into different rooms in the same office. There'd be other people in your room, but the person who comes in and shouts the message is only heard by those people in your room. That is that segment on the switch. Well, actually, a, a, a switch is even better than that. It is exactly like someone coming in and whispering just to Oh, really? You. Oh, I thought a yeah. switch divided the network into segments that were still no, public. It's, oh, it's, okay. Um, so my happens, analogy doesn't work then. All right. Yeah, it... It, I mean, it's sort of tricky because of what happens... Because I was going to say a router is like somebody calling you on the phone and saying that message directly to you. A switch does that, too. A switch does that, too. Okay. What, ha what happens is a switch learns which MAC address, which, ah. phys which physical NIC is on each of its segments. Now, if you had a master switch and then it was connected to other switches... And then they were connected to Nick. So you sort of have a hierarchy. In that case, the, the, the switch at the top of the tree would learn, like, maybe that there were 10 Nicks that were connected to its first port, because that then connects to another switch that learns which Nick is on each one of its ports. Right. So it is possible for a switch to send multiple traffic down one of its connections that's then further subdivided by another switch or a hub out out further away from it but essentially what the bottom line is no one listening to traffic on a switch is able to ever hear anything other than what's bound for it it's, it's, it's the it's, guys coming up and whispering in your ear exactly okay. just like it's whispering in your ear in Got fact it. it's funny that hubs are becoming endangered now that it's a hard to find hubs because switch technology is coming down in price and it's just better so i literally because i'm in you know sort of in the network end of of the world i've purchased a bunch of hubs 
just sitting in boxes before they disappear completely. <laughs> I have some I can give you, Steve, because, <laughs> if, you, if you really want some. <laughs> well, because they're so useful for me. I want to be well, able in our to, own, I want to I want to be able to sniff the right, traffic on right, my own network right. and watch other computers talking to each other. You cannot do that if you use a switch to connect all your computers together. It, 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 to understand this really under, requires an understanding how Ethernet, which is a networking protocol, this is being used, works. is a It's a broadcast protocol it, with Without any special switching, it will just send everything to everybody. Yeah. I, I, in fact, and that's inefficient, earlier, but, well, it's actually got some efficiencies and some inefficiencies. Well, it's inefficient because you start having packet collisions. Right. The way Ethernet works is that if, essentially, anyone can talk on the wire at any time they want. If two people talk at the same time, they will collide. Their packets literally collide and scramble each other's bits on the wire. But each of them is listening to the wire as they're talking. So in in the old days, when you literally were all on the same wire, or even today, if you're on, on a hub instead of a switch, if two computers on a hub send at the same at exactly the same time their packets will collide but because they're all hearing what everybody else says they hear the, their own collision and they realize oops somebody was talking started transmitting at exactly the same time i did so what they do is they they back off they wait a random amount of time and retransmit well, the chances of a second collision are low, but if it happened, then they would again. They'd wait a random amount of time and try again. The point is, this technology is, it, it's called uh, CSMA, uh, Collision Sense Multiple Access. That's the original brilliant Ethernet technology that Bob Metcalf invented mm-hmm. back in the old days. And that's why people came up with switches, because on very large networks, you were getting so many collisions that you wanted to kind of segment your network to make it more efficient, well, to reduce that's exactly, collisions. That's exactly right. If your network gets huge and you've got a, a certain number of computers, what's happened is the Ethernet starts to fail because you end up with a much, the, the rate of collisions starts going up so high that no one is able to get their message through without somebody else stomping on it. Right. And a switch is a store and forward technology. It receives the packet. It looks at the MAC address to see where it's bound for. It looks up in a table that tells it where the, which ports the MAC addresses are connected to, and it resends that packet only out on that one port. That's that switching behavior, and that prevents your network from collapsing as it gets really big. All right, let's move on because we have a lot of questions. <laughs> I want to get to as many as we can. This is a very interesting one from a, from a good Samaritan. He says there are a number of unsecured Wi-Fi access points in my neighborhood. Is there any way I can contact them aside from knocking on doors and, and warning them about the security issues that they're facing? That's an interesting question. I thought about it when when it was asked, uh, when I received it from the web page. Um, certainly, anything he would to he would do over Wi-Fi would be illegal. I mean, there in the old in the early days of file sharing, there were remember where we had open file sharing ports. There were people who would put. Um, text files on other people's desktops telling them that they're I never did this, but this is not them, nice. <laughs> not, and that's not a good idea. I mean, it's illegal for right. someone to to alter anyone else's computer, even if you have the best of intentions. You mean like Sony? Yeah, well, exactly. Okay, let's so, not get. So, we'll get into that later. <laughs> so, so 
unfortunately, the only thing I could suggest is what this guy suggested. Maybe like printing up, you know, Xeroxing some leaflets, some little in- information pamphlets, and saying, hey, I, can hear you. I don't know who you are, but my computer can see your network, wow. and it, you're, it's not secured, it's wide open, I'm not touching your network, I never have, but you ought to go start listening to episode one of Security <laughs> Now with, with, with Gibson and Laporte. We wouldn't mind that. <laughs> exactly. Do a little but, ad for us. And <laughs> again, there, there, there's no way... It is not illegal, and believe me, I mean, you could piss off some knee-jerk neighbor who could have the cops out, and it would be you, a problem. You don't want to do that, yeah. Nope. Here's a fella using, who's been listening well, I think. He's using WPA, which is the encryption that you recommend for wireless networking. He's using the pre-shared key, the PSK version. Right. NTKIP. He says he's using a killer key from your passwords page, but... Since AES encryption is better than TKIP, which you said still uses the RC4 encryption from web, I'd rather use AES. My vendor doesn't offer it. What is a boy to do? Um, This, again, is sort of a composite question that many people have asked. They recognize that, okay, they're happy, they're no longer using WEP, but they know there's something more. They're like using WAP, or I'm sorry, WPA instead of WPA2. They know that there's something more, or there's like radius. That's good enough, isn't it? Yes, and that's my point, is, is... RC, there's nothing wrong with RC4. This AES, it was how it was implemented that was bad. Yes, RC4 is a fantastic cipher, extremely random. You mix that with your, your clear text, you get undecipherable um, um, crypt text. There's just no way that anyone is going to be able to crack it. So, so I really think that any concern about going beyond basic WPA with a pre-shared key, and especially if you're using one of those gobbledygook 63-character passwords from my passwords page, I mean, you are just nailed down. You are super secure. And there's another reason not to go further. You might be able to get, like, one computer and your access point to hook up. But the, the further you push the encryption... The, the more problems you're going to have with other devices. Somebody comes over who doesn't support, they may support WPA pre, with a pre-shared key, but not the, the higher level that you're using. So WPA with a pre-shared key is so strong, you just really, you can stop there with confidence. Uh, if you don't want to bother with proxies or VPNs at a public hotspot because you're just doing email, how secure are the secure features of webmail systems? He uh, is asked about, or this person asked about Google Mail, but I'm actually curious. I use Fastmail, which is an IMAP service, but it does SSL. Am I secure? Is he yes. secure? Yes. Uh, now, we've got to be a little bit careful when we say public hotspot. As long as we mean you use your computer that you have controlled ah. and public connectivity. A public terminal as, is another problem entirely, public, as, as we as, talked as we, about as, earlier. Yeah. As we discussed before, that's just a big no-no. Yeah. There's just no safe way to do that. Okay. But, but uh, your password is sent encrypted. Your entire transaction is encrypted. And most of these services, I know Google and uh, Fastmail do this, you can click a box and say, "Yeah, I'm on a, a, a public network. Don't you know? I, you know, make sure that uh, nothing gets saved and all that stuff." Yes, I would say that it is it is completely safe. SSL will will protect 
everything you do once it's connected. So, for example, if you use HTTPS colon slash slash gmail.com to get on to Google Mail and make sure that it, it keeps you on a secure connection as you move around the website, I believe it does, then you're safe as long as you're using, as long as all you do is email that is over that SSL connection from a public hotspot, you, you have nothing to worry about. And listen next week because we are going more into detail on how to create a, a VPN that you can use to be secure all the time. detail. Oh, man. You know, I, I, I don't know. Let's, let's not get started because I've been tr- I've been playing with some of the things you're going to suggest and it's excruciating might be the right word. Yeah. <clears throat> Is it possible, one listener asks, to compromise a NAT router or a NAT router modem? He's, here's his here's what happened. Normally, zone alarm is silent on his PC. A few weeks after resetting the NAT router, he began to get a couple of zone alarm alerts from real IP addresses. He reset the NAT router again. That made it go away for a few weeks, but it comes back. Is uh, he being corrupted? Is he being compromised? Yeah. I would I would bet money. You know the, how, how we've talked about the moment you put a NAT router in, your, your personal firewall goes silent because there's no way unsolicited traffic is able to enter through the NAT router any longer. Any alerts you get will be from outgoing, outbound traffic, not incoming traffic. It'll be your own applications asking for permission to use the Internet. Right. Exactly. Um, I would bet anything this guy's got universal plug-and-play enabled on his router. And that is a big no-no. Universal plug-and-play is an insecure technology that Microsoft created, which allow basically, it's sort of their zero administration effort. The idea is they want their, their um, MSN instant messaging and things just to work. They don't want to ask users to open ports through their router to have to do like static open ports. Basically, universal plug and play allows the computer to tell the router to open ports. And what's worse, it doesn't show in the user interface. You can't go to your router and see what ports have been administratively mm. open behind your back. Mm. It's really bad. And so this sounds like exactly what's happening here is that something in the user's computer, and that's the other problem, it could be malicious. It could be a Trojan that doesn't want to get cut off from the outside world. It installs itself. It uses universal plug-and-play to bring his router defenses down deliberately so that unsolicited junk is now able to enter through his router. You absolutely have to disable universal plug-and-play and then reboot your router. And that Otherwise, will be somewhere in the router settings if you log yeah, in. Yeah, it will always be in the user interface. Yeah. And the good news is most of the routers I've seen seem to have it disabled by default oh, because good. they're recognizing it's a problem. Oh, that's interesting. That's something new. Maybe because of you. I don't know. Well, I've been pounding on people about it. <laughs> good. What are your feelings, another writer asks, on file and print sharing on a home network if you have a NAT firewall, you know, you're behind a router? Uh, I know that XP has a fit about the security issues when you set sharing up, and it really does. It warns you several <laughs> oh, times. Yeah. Oh, you're in. But it is a prime reason I have a home network. I want to be able to use one printer on the network, uh, all my machines. I want to be able to share files. Uh, he's not alone. Everybody, I think, wants to do that. Yep. In addition to being behind the router, the NAT firewall, I have also installed NetBuoy on all my PCs, XP Pro and Home, plus 2003 server. And that's because file sharing is a little easier over NetBuoy, I'm sure. And have unbound file and print sharing from TCPIP so that it is only accessible via NetBoot. Was, oh. was that a good idea? This guy. Um, That's he's, clever, isn't it? He's, 
Well, he's read my um, Shields Up pages. Uh-huh. That was that was what I discovered years ago. Was that you you did not need TCP to do file sharing. NetBuoy was Microsoft's original protocol. It used to be for, called NetBIOS. Uh, well, actually, pretty much Net, the same, but, isn't it? it, it yeah, they're certainly they're, they're certainly related, although they are different technologies. Oh, okay. Net, Net, NetBuoy is an actual transport protocol. What's cool about NetBuoy is it is as a non-routable protocol. It is unable to get away from your local network. There's no there's no IP address in NetBuoy. It's all only for a LAN, not for a WAN. Now, if 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 listeners. Don't know what we're talking about. This is all about what shields up. The original security stuff on my website is about, and it shows you how to do this thing called unbinding TCP IP from file and printer sharing and using NetBuoy instead. What it? I mean, isn't he protected though anyway? Because he's got the router protected. I was just going to say this is he's he's a real suspenders and belt guy (laughs) who's got you know super level of protection. So. He he would be safe using NetBuoy even without a router because, because port one thirty nine is blocked by the router. Yes, and nobody's going to be able to make any NetBuoy. Well, calls. and NetBuoy doesn't have ports. I mean, oh, it if, doesn't. If you, oh, I get it. All right. Okay. I mean, it, it's completely. It's like a. It's a non internet protocol, I and see. so by, by so using, what is port one thirty nine? That's a NetBIOS. That's a well, file sharing port, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's NetBIOS over TCP. So that's what and, we're disabling. Exactly. And so by by unbinding file and printer sharing from the use of TCP, you're like you're like in a in a whole different networking <laughs> realm right. that can't go anywhere. I mean, he is super safe. Good. Good job in other words. But not <laughs> right. necessary as long as you've blocked those if you, the, those ports. If you get a green light from Shields up, uh, you're stealthed on port 139 and the other net the file sharing ports. You don't and, and that's if you're enough. Behind a, if you're behind the net router, you're safe anyway. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Because because NAT protects you. Right. Uh, you've said that SSL connections are not susceptible to man-in-the-middle attacks, but I've read that they are. I want to believe you, but why do others think that SSL is susceptible to MITM tax attacks? And when an SSL or VPN authorizes, what stops someone listening to the packages each way to figure out the keys? So first, let's start with what is a man-in-the-middle attack? Okay. Um, in, in fact... I have no analogy for this one. You're on your own. Um, I mean, I could do it, but <laughs> I'm going to let you do it. We're going to we're we're going to start the beginning of the new year talking about the way the internet works. What's ports? What's IP addresses? What what are packets oh, and cool. all that? Oh, good. Then we're going to talk about crypto because we really need a foundation to understand some of this more advanced stuff. Um, so um, it's probably the wrong time for me to answer this because we don't have enough foundation for me to talk about how SSL security works and how man-in-the-middle attacks can be avoided. Um, I wanted to bring up the question because so many people are asking it. A so, man-in-the-middle attack is when somebody kind of poses as the as the receiving or the sending site yes, and, the and intercepts I- traffic. Yeah, the idea is that it's one thing to passively listen to packets going in both directions. And, and, and that was the second part of this question, was if someone listened to this session, th- this SSL or the VPN connection being established, why doesn't that give them all the information they need to decrypt the whole conversation? Right. Because after all, they've heard everything that both sides have sent back and forth to each other. 
I mean, but that's public key cryptography. That's the whole point of public key cryptography. Exactly. In the old days, if you had a decoder ring, and there, you know, or you had to send the guy to the decoder ring, right? And if anybody intercepted the decoder ring, he'd now know that he could, you know, copy down the algorithm and then send the decoder ring on, and you're you're cracked. But because of public key cryptography, I can send you the public key, and it's still useless. Is that basically it? That's it, and that's probably all we should say for now. <laughs> it just um, means it's possible to exchange a key without compromising security. You still need I, the personal, the private key to decrypt. Um, it, it, it's sort of like okay, I could explain this now. Let's but save it. Pe- people would get more confused. <laughs> Let's save their, it. Uh, everyone's eyes would cross. <laughs> that happens anyway. Um, Let's not. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so I want to. I, I want to explain this. It's so cool how this works, and it I think is. people are going to get a big but, kick out of it. But if we do a partway job, people will just end up being more confused. So, just to answer his question. So, man in the middle is not possible with a properly implemented SSL. Um. Oh boy, we're getting we're going to get into okay. trouble, Leo. You could say um, you could fudge it. You could say in some um, cases, if it, uh, um, no, there's just no simple way to answer the question. Um, <laughs> SSL is susceptible to man in the middle attacks if authentication is not involved. A man in the middle, there's no way for a man in the middle who's somebody who's not just passively listening, but is actually able to impersonate the people at either end. That's that why is, these certificates are so important. Certificates well, are the authentication you're talking certificates about. Certificates are an aspect of authentication, but again, here's where we really need to get careful with our definitions. Okay. So um, uh, there's just, we're going to have to wait. Okay. People are going to love tuned. this. When we explain it, yes. By the, by the time you've listened to episode 99 of Security <laughs> Now, you will be the next Bruce Schneier. Nintendo has just launched its Wi-Fi service for the Nintendo DS. You can now go to McDonald's and uh, get get play games against other DS people. Uh, the problem is the device doesn't support WPA encryption. It just The DS only has WEP. Many small portable devices are like this. Uh, any suggestions for a home network where we might want to use these devices and still be secure? In other words, if I've got a DS and I've got a WPA encrypted network, I can't use the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, and this sort of question has come up in many different flavors. For example, um, there are some people that have their TiVos on a wireless connection. Right. But TiVo only supports WEP. It doesn't support WPA. Right. They want to run their whole network on WPA, but now the TiVos are stranded. Now, Palm did the right thing. They support uh, WPA. Yeah. Oh, in which fact, is nice. Leo, I took one of my hairy... I was going to say hairy ass uh, passwords <laughs> from from my own passwords page. I mean, this thing just makes your eyes cross. Sixty three characters. It looks like you know the computer's badly broken. I did. I copy and pasted it using a little SD card into my Wi-Fi, my my new TX. Dropped it in, and it connected right up to my network. Isn't that great? Uh, using real strong WPA encryption. But so there's, if you have a DS, you just uh, either you don't use it on the network, or you set the network for WEP during that time, or turn, or actually, as you mentioned earlier, you could just turn off security during the time you want to use it. The thing that I've suggested to people who whose email addresses I had was, and actually they wrote back and loved the idea. So I guess maybe it's feasible. It's possible to run two networks. 
There's nothing to prevent you from having your, and this this actually solves the problem of people coming over to your house. So have an insecure network and a secure network. Exactly. Um, You might want to run MAC address filtering and hide your SSID so that your neighbors are not using, I mean, I would suggest having one that is WPA running at full security and probably just leave the other one wide open. Don't even bother with web security on the other one if you really don't care. But do use MAC address filtering just to, to keep, keep it your, out of prying to, eyes. To keep your neighbors from yeah. using it by mistake. <laughs> then your TiVos can connect. Your your Nintendo Nintendo DS can connect. Your neighbors who bring their laptops over. To, Real quickly, you know, what would the topology be? You would have okay. I have my cable modem or DSL modem. It's connected first to the insecure. Uh, um, access point, and that's a, bridging it, to the secure access point. There are there are levels of security that you could go through, but as long as you've got a switch on your router, which is which is isolating the traffic from each other, ah. you're going to be very secure. So you have a router connected to the cable modem and a Wi-Fi access point coming off that router yep. that is open, and it's not going to see any of your and n- none of your. Encrypted traffic would ever be decryptable anyway because you're on WPA. Right. So a modern uh, router is going to have a switch and it's going to be that'll be sufficient. And, an older router might not, but yep. Okay, uh, let's see. What's we only have a few more minutes. Let's get a few more in here. What's the security of the Windows Remote Desktop? Is it safe? Is it secure? Do you recommend using it at a hotspot as a, ah. a VPN? That that's a great question, and we're going to do uh, one whole episode on remote desktop security and 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 securing remote desktop because it's a really nice way to for people who are interested in not using a third party service like go to my PC or logmein.com um, for them to access their machines. Microsoft has tried for years to make this secure, and they still haven't got it right. Mm. Um, the it is. Deeply encrypted with with XP, you're using 128-bit RC4 encryption cipher, so it is extremely encrypted. It is, however, susceptible to a man-in-the-middle attack, like we were saying before. There are even freely available tools. This Kane Enable tool has a remote desktop protocol man-in-the-middle logging and interception capability that basically someone can sniff that traffic. Well, actually, can't sniff it. I, I need to be careful here myself. They have to actively modify the initial login dialog to insert themselves in the middle, but these tools are available and are known. Then they are able to record everything you do with your remote desktop. Mm. Now, this is one of those deals where someone says, okay, come on, Gibson, you know, it's encrypted, it's secure, it's not susceptible to passive eavesdropping. Isn't that good enough? I have to say yes, probably <laughs> it is. But you should we, be aware that there are holes. Yes, it is. It, and, and, and there again, that's always where we draw the line. I want to tell people what is possible, let them decide whether they care or not. Whether so, it's probable. My, exactly. Microsoft has the problem that they are not securely authenticating. There is no authentication technology in remote desktop mm. n- and no no secure uh, certificates. They actually tried to fix this earlier this year and still didn't get it right. Essentially what you're saying is that it's secure but it's not perfect. 
it, it is it is deeply encrypted. It's it's very strongly encrypted. No one sniffing the traffic would ever be able to get it. And the only vulnerability in the desktop protocol, which is what they're using, RDP, right. Remote Desktop Protocol, is that if somebody really wanted, to, I mean, like knew you were going to be using a remote desktop, <laughs> got all set up, and and managed to intercept and modify your traffic on the fly. I mean, it's much more of a theoretical vulnerability, but it's it exists, it has been exploited, and software is on the net that allows this to be done. Then somebody could essentially, without you knowing it, monitor everything you did remotely, mouse movements, typing on the keyboard, um, ca capturing your keystrokes, logging in with your email client, running on the other machine, and so forth. Mm. So it is, it is an, a, a temp, a, like a theoretical exposure. All right, we are out of time. I wish we had more, but you know what? We will do more every fourth episode. We'll answer more of your questions, so keep them coming. Next week, Steve, are we going to finally find that holy grail of safe computing on the road? We're, we're going to address a whole next aspect of VPN, uh, the so-called PPTP, point-to-point -point tunneling protocol, and IPsec VPNs, which are implemented by, by Microsoft and by so many of the later model um, consumer uh, small office, home office, the Soho routers. We're going to talk about how that works and how, unfortunately, Microsoft has deliberately made their built-in Windows client incompatible with any of or almost all of those routers so uh that's but still still some good solutions are available do we have a silver bullet a magic we're on the way we're, we're, on, we're the way. on the way all right okay we're getting close <laughs> okay well ladies and gentlemen that's uh, it for this episode of security now episode 16 thanks for all your questions uh if you want more information show notes are on grc.com slash security as is a 16 kilobit version of this show and uh, transcripts too in all sorts of formats so you can follow along with the home version of Security Now. Our thanks to the folks at AOL Radio who broadcast Security Now on their podcast channel and very graciously provide us bandwidth so that we can offer this podcast to you absolutely free at AOLmusic.com. I'm Leo Laporte for Steve Gibson. Thanks for joining us in Security Now. We'll talk to you next week, Steve. Bye, Leo. Thanks. Thanks.